stories turn songs into symphonies, events into memories, and lives into legends. In our crowded world, knowing your story cuts through the noise so you can make your mark, whether you want to sell more books, increase profits, or just make a difference. At Sterling & Stone, story is our business. The Story Studio Podcast is where we explore ways we can all tell our stories better. And now, with the Story Studio Podcast number 30, here's Johnny, Sean, and Dave. Hello, welcome to the Story Studio Podcast. So Sterling and Stone's transition to a pure story studio, surprising for a crew that has had a story studio podcast, um, has taken us to some kind of fun and interesting places lately. And so what we wanted to do today <laughs> That's was, for sure. was to recap something that really was kind of a by the way um, originally and became something awesome that I can see like there was a lot of value here and I think we'll do it more and more. So first, a little bit of background. Um, we have a mastermind called the stone table. And about a year ago, uh, Sean and I were at the Austin film festival saying, what's the necessity? I'm going to cancel the podcast. If you keep doing that, Sean. you guys can't, even see. man, um, I don't even think Dave was looking at that time. That sucks. Um, we uh, and we were saying when we were walking around, like we need to as we were getting ready to relaunch the stone table or something. And we need to like actually have dates for the times that we meet in advance, because usually like in the past, we'd been winging it. And so we're like, OK, so we want to have three of these in-person meetups that we call signature sessions. We wanted and then the summit, we wanted to have the Smarter Artist Summit, which the 2019 one is the last one. But we wanted to set that the actual day. Um and then we said we wanted a field trip. And that's all we called it. <laughs> like Stone Table Field Trip, TBD. And we, um, what that ended up becoming was uh, an event that we jokingly called the No ROI event because once it took shape, we were like, okay, it's a field trip. It's just to have fun. And we want to be clear that nobody will get an ROI on this. There's no like masterminding happen. We're just going to go have fun. No money. Turn on investment for those yeah. that don't know what ROI is. Yes. Did uh, did PayPal think that that was a funny thing to call it, Johnny? PayPal did not <laughs> like. You may as well call this scammy scam scam. <laughs> well, that was the, that was the tagline: scammy scam scam. <laughs> and um, what the no ROI event became, and I, I'm sure it will have, because I'm sure Sean will name Smith it if you know we do something like this again. Was oh, I already have a name. Do you want to know? Um, hold on, I want to guess. Super well, actually, unicorn festivities with <laughs> fairies no the name anal the name only works the name only the name only works if we do it in colorado actually um so okay maybe well, let me finish it's describing not a- what it is because then people will have the context for this so we said we're just going to hang out and we're going to we're going to watch movies and then it kind of took shape in the way that these things do take shape where okay we'll watch movies and we'll 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 break down the the story in them like we'll we'll learn through kind of collective osmosis all of us just dissecting different movies and that's what we did so we had uh it was me and sean and our wives and four guests and we got an airbnb in denver that had um six uh six suites so everybody had their own uh bedroom bathroom suite like everybody had their own shower and stuff and it had a big um, projection screen in the living room and then um, sort of a uh, media room in the, on the lower level. And we watched 10 movies and it was really fascinating despite it being such a flip event from the beginning, the idea of like, well, we're just going to screw around. It's no ROI. It's the field trip. And I mean, let's be clear. Like it, we did not sit down and analyze. We did not have worksheets. It was as chill as it sounds, but it was kind of amazing in its own way. And we've already begun the wheels turning on like, okay, how can we do that again? How can we do more of that as we go forward as a company? I think maybe there's a, well, for me anyway, there's a tendency to pay attention in a different way when you're not actively trying to learn something. You're more engaged, I feel. Yeah. When I'm trying, when I'm going to an event where like people are doing stuff, I I tend to like worry about like missing out on something. So I'll be taking notes or whatever. And I, I don't think I engage in the same way. Well, Bonnie was Bonnie was fun because from from day one, Bonnie was like every, a lot of people were chilling out, but Bonnie was sitting, you know, very attentively and taking notes. And she did that the whole time because Bonnie's our story expert. Um, we tried to get Dave to go, 
Uh, but it was in Denver. It was not in redacted, so he wouldn't he wouldn't go. But um, I think we'll do some in Austin, which you won't go to those either. So that's <laughs> at least it'll be a, a little closer to something I can't go to. Right. <laughs> I almost went to that one. Yeah, I almost. Uh, so why can't you go to Florida? I mean, really? <laughs> so, uh, Sean, did what did I miss anything there and sort of the recap? No, no, that sounds great. And it was it was a uh, it was something we were like stupid looking forward to. We we actually had another event in um, in Boulder right before. And that was a really fun event. And it was like, I don't know. When is this going to be over so we can get to the no ROI event and start watching movies? And yeah, it was it was really fantastic. Um, being able to, I mean, I watch TV and movies all the time, but there at the end of the day, I, I don't I don't start my day by watching movies. Although I really should make an sure. effort to start. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm actually not joking. No, right neither now. am I. Like that our business as storytellers is increasingly going to be immersing ourselves in story. That's not that's yeah, work now. Right. So I want to, I want to be able to build that into my work day, but I don't right now, right now when I get to watch movies, it's at the very end of the day when I'm just kind of done. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm over it. You know, I'm, it's like, it's the last thing I do before I go to sleep or I'm watching something with the children or it's just, it's not the same and, and really diving deep in, you know, for two days, we started with the matrix and, um, Cindy and I left a little early and they watched the jerk yeah, <laughs> before we left full days. So it was basically we Sunday, Sunday, we got in around four and then, um, we only watched one movie that night, but then the next two full days, like beginning, like waking up to going to sleep. And then people left on Wednesday, except for Sean and Cindy who left a little early. And right. we did decide to watch the jerk. It was originally going to be um, the Princess Bride, so it was already a lighthearted movie, and everybody—I uh, don't know—like that wasn't even my suggestion, and so we ended up watching The Jerk, which didn't have a lot of story structure stuff to learn in it, but it was fun. It was a good way. To but it was it. just like at that point, you're not going for story structure. I think that's you're why going we for went for it. I think people after nine movies were a little like, okay, let's just watch something mindless, <laughs> right? Let's just turn off. So I mean, um, you didn't watch Faces of Death. Um, well, no, your, your, your grandma didn't send us, oh. you know, <laughs> or a Serbian film. <laughs> no, but we did have human centipede, which Bonnie referred to as the best movie ever. Yes. Are you just serious? kidding? Bonnie? No, <laughs> <laughs> I know Bonnie's listening to this right now. Just horrified. It's like, I did not say that she did. However, no, turn to me favorite? during in, in glorious bastards in glorious bastards. She was kind of mesmerized. <laughs> like every time I looked over at her, she was, um, I like the beginning of that movie. No, the beginning of that movie is its own movie. Yeah. The beginning of that movie I like is the beginning so, of the crying game. The beginning of the movie or the beginning of the crying game is exceptional. <clears throat> the first like 40 minutes, I want to say the crying game are just perfect. Filming. Right. The whole captivity. Interrogation. Yeah. 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 Well, um, well, let me, let me frame this a little bit because that's actually a really good point is the beginning scene of inglorious bastards. Um, we're going to, we're going to at least mildly spoil most of these movies. So that's our job. That, yeah. That's kind of the <laughs> point. Um, uh, let me see if I can list them really quick. <clears throat> so, you know, but we'll, we'll mention them as they come up. It was the matrix, um, uh, Goodfellas, uh, the breakfast club, um hero la la land gosford park did i mention glorious bastards yet no well yeah we just called that bonnie's favorite no but did i mention it in my account no Uh, well whatever we'll get to him when we get to him um because i can't think that fast but what we noticed as we were doing these is the idea was we we just kind of picked him because everybody picked a movie there were there were 10 people there because there we had two people who were local who came um and so we picked 10, everybody picked a movie and there were 10 people there and we just picked them because they were like, I don't know, interesting in some way. Um, oh, I wish I went now. I would have picked upstream color. <laughs> right. Oh, and I would have loved that. that I would have loved to watch upstream color it, with you. Oh my God, great. dude, you but, need to come to the next one of these. Cause you will have the time <laughs> of your life. Seriously. Right. And w- no, oh, I don't know the next lyric. I was going to do a whole thing with time. Let's do Dave's got it. Let's do that lift like in uh, in Dirty Dancing. Um, so, yeah, you uh, let me. <laughs> that's what I meant. So my point is that we we didn't put a lot of thought in. We just thought they were good stories. And so I guess that I never consciously thought about this. But in the back of my head, I suppose I imagined that they were all going to there were going to be there were reasons that they were all good 
that we liked them all, that they were our favorites, and that they would conform to what we expected to be typical story structure. Now, what actually ended up happening is that they didn't. Um, the uh, like the inciting incident in Gosford Park happens like an hour in or something like that. Um, the one, the Goodfellas uh, inciting incident and Act One climax is my favorite example. We can talk about that in a minute, and that was really atypical. So. Um, starting to notice some of the things that like the matrix is really, really classic story structure. Like that one follows it exactly point by point pretty much. Cause it's basically, it's that classic hero story. Um, yeah, it's very direct, but most of the rest of them had some variant, which kind of, uh, it reminded me of what Craig Mazin said when we saw him, Sean at the, um, at the Austin film festival where he said that when people talk about story structure, now he was talking about really, really detailed, like Sean Coyne story grid sort of analysis that that is more of an autopsy rather than a, a blueprint or something like right. that. Right. Wait, do you want to explain the difference between those two? Right. So basically, rather than looking at this is what a structure, a story should do and, and its natural rhythm, what Craig meant was that when people really get detailed with, with um, story structure and really get granular on it, they're doing it after the fact. So in other words, there was a story that worked and then people go back and say, okay, let me diagram this and I'll show you why it worked. But you, if you do an autopsy on something, it kind of removes the life from it. It makes it a little sterile. So yes, you can, ana- you can analyze a movie that way. But if you try and um, have a living, breathing story and try to like rigidly apply structure to it in that way, a lot of times it falls flat. And that was Craig's point. And I think that um, in that way, like we watched a bunch of movies that – that we could have like retroactively applied structure to, but that they were just good stories and they were storytellers following their hearts. And so it was an example of knowing the, knowing the rules in order to break them. I think we had a lot of good examples of that. Yeah. Agreed. Do you want to start with, um, do you want to start with uh, the matrix? Because I think there was something really interesting that, that Bonnie talked about with the matrix that, I mean, I I never heard it. Ryan was immediately on his phone. Yep, it's a theory, <laughs> right? But I had never heard that before. Yeah, I had I had I had, wouldn't have put it in the terms that Bonnie did, but that's something that that well, I I'll, I'll whatever. I mean, go ahead and give Bonnie's um, analysis on it. Well, okay, so <laughs> everyone's probably seen the Matrix, um, uh, and obviously Neo is the one. <laughs> But what her argument was that Smith was actually the one because he is the only one who ended up escaping and getting out of the matrix and that in his own way, Neo is just another system of control, part of the system. Right. Um, and that would be for the trilogy. Like if you've seen the entire Matrix trilogy. Right. People- that doesn't hold up at all on the first movie. Right, in the, the first movie, he is the one. The second two movies aren't canon. They don't count. <laughs> I think that's bullshit. I love the, all three of those movies, and I everybody shits on those movies. Um, I just think it's a really complex story. Austin and I have been watching them, and we have the third one left, and I'm like, okay, you want to watch it? Just so you know, it's really, you're not, you're not going to get most of it. Like, it's really I, esoteric. I do like the Matrix trilogy as a whole. I think it's really ambitious. I love it. Um, I'm an apologist. I saw them all in the theaters opening day and yay i did as well (laughs) go go ahead sorry well it's just i i i do think they could have done better (laughs) like i think i think that they were they didn't have enough people telling them no um or maybe they couldn't have done better but they could have been more straightforward they could have been more commercial they could have been a little more in alignment with what the first one was um but i think because the first one did stick with structure so much, I feel like the second two can't help but feel a little bit like broken promises. Yeah, like for, for me, like like the first one, I could have watched a lot. Like I could watch it 20 times and enjoy yeah. it each and every time. The second two, I couldn't do that. I saw them in the theater and I, I watched them maybe once on DVD after and I didn't have the same joy I had from the first one. Um. Well, the Matrix, though, is it does follow a very classic structure. I think that's probably one of the reasons that it is so perennially satisfying for people. Um, but the other, actually, the second movie that we watched was The Breakfast Club, which actually is also very typical. So we started with two very that typical. That has ones. great story structure, actually. 
Don't you forget. What did you All take right. anything from the Breakfast Club? I mean, that's that's actually the interesting thing is that the ones that were most classic, we're going to have the least to say about in terms of this. No, there, well, there, there wasn't really anything to say in terms of the structure. But I, I did think that, wow, does that job do or sorry, does that movie do a great job of um, introducing characters and. It's almost like, you know, when we've talked about you can't you can't avoid the cliches or the tropes. You have to lean into them. Holy shit, does John Hughes just like roll around in that idea for that movie? He takes all the ideas, he takes all the cliches and the tropes and, and things that we know about high school, especially in that setting of mid-1980s Chicago, and really exploits it to make a, an engaging film that is still really watchable 30 years later. It's still really good. Um and uh, all, I mean, it's, it's on my daughter's top 10 list, uh, you know, all these years later. So that's kind of interesting. And I think it's because he nails characters so well and the way that they're introduced, the way there isn't really a main character, although there kind of is. Yeah, that's you know? where I was going to go is, is when we were done with it, we, the, some of the discussion mm-hmm. we had is whose story is that? Yeah. Like, who's, whose arc? And they all have an arc. But I think we decided that, that it's Bender's, right? Like it's, it's his arc more than anyone else's is that what we decided yeah well for sure but everybody gets a um everybody gets a turn and that's just there aren't a lot of um there aren't a lot of movies that follow that example where it is kind of a character study the whole thing and uh, one other one other thing that we did talk about was how the principal who's you know he's there stuck on a saturday and he also you know he's the hero of his own story. He's not the villain. He's the guy like these fucking kids in here on a Saturday, keeping me from, from what I want to do. And then that whole thing where he's going toe to toe with Judd Nelson. And he's like another week, another week. And Judd Nelson just keeps pushing him and he keeps pushing back, but he's punishing himself every single time because he's got to be with Judd Nelson for yet another week, yet another week. And it was just kind of interesting to watch it. Cause we had just had that conversation about, um, you know, we're all the hero of our own story and there are no villains, you know, in that context. And then watching that and, and seeing him, how he's, oh, he hates these kids. It, it was very much that. The next one that we watched was Goodfellas. And this is the one that I thought was really interesting because I'd never, I, I mean, I've seen Goodfellas a bunch of times before, but I'd never really thought about it before. And I think that's what was interesting about this is is as lax as we were, I mean, Cindy worked her ass off, but the rest of us, she was making food, but everyone else just kind of chilled out. Um, and I, but I hadn't really, like, that does make you focus when you're watching with other people, like Dave was saying. And I guess I hadn't realized that, I mean, do you want to talk about what we kind of discovered with Goodfellas that I hadn't, like, where is the inciting incident for Goodfellas? Well, that the inciting incident and the end of Act One are actually the same thing. And then we give, or Scorsese gives that to you before the movie starts. So the movie actually starts when the trunk slams down, because if you haven't seen Goodfellas, sorry, I'm about to ruin the first five minutes. Um, the, 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 you know, they're, they're driving the car and Billy's in the trunk and he's all like mostly dead. <laughs> they pull over cause they hear something in the trunk. They open the trunk and, um, Joe Pesci's all like crazier than he's ever been in any movie except Home Alone. And he's all like, I'm going to get you, you fucker. And he's like stabbing mm-hmm. Billy, you know, over and over with his mom's kitchen knife. <laughs> and then, um, uh, you know, there's blood everywhere. You can practically smell the metal. And then uh, Ray Liotta is slamming the trunk of the car to close the dead body back inside. And the voiceover starts. I always wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> and then it goes back to him being a little boy. And it's a great opening. Like it's a, especially once the movie catches up. And the first act takes almost 50 minutes. I think it's a long act one before all of a sudden now you're caught up with the movie and you realize that the inciting incident was that um, Tommy had killed this guy, Billy, who now Robert De Niro and Ray Liotta are going to have to cover his tracks. And that's kind of what like triggers all the things in the rest of the movie. But he actually, Scorsese gives you that inciting incident in the first few seconds of the movie and then spends 50 minutes getting you to care about it and building context around it, which is really an interesting way to build a story. Right. But it also functions as the end of act one, in our opinion, anyway, because it's the moment where uh, the main character, Henry Hill, basically decides to go on his journey. Now, the other interesting thing about Goodfellas that I'd never thought about before is that 
it's actually a kind of a downward trajectory. It's not usually a hero's journey. You know, they become a hero. They they make a choice. They change for the better. And um, Henry Hills is kind of a descent. Like he starts, it starts with him as a gangster and he's living the high life. And there's that long tracking shot through the back of the restaurant where he's, you know, everybody knows him and everybody, he's hanging with the gangsters and living the good life. And then it just, at the end, he's just a schlub like everyone else. He's a rat. He's, you know, he's living the suburban life that he never wanted to live. And going out there, shuffling out his front door to get the paper. It's like the saddest shit in the world. Um, and then what was the order? Was the next one? Um, I think the next one might've been hero. Um, so now do you want to tell Dave what doesn't really matter, but do you want to tell Dave now what he was here? What wait, was hero day one or day two? It was day one. Oh, then yeah. Okay. It would have been hero. Um, so Dave didn't know if he'd seen hero and I stopped Sean from telling him what it was. Okay. So Dave, did you ever see, um, uh, house of flying daggers? No, it's one of those that was on my list, but I never saw it. Okay, it's the same guy who made House of Flying Daggers, but he made it first. But it's that same kind of like, it's a martial arts movie that's just kind of gorgeous. It's, it's, Did you do the it, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon too? No, that's Ang Lee. Oh, okay. Um, same choreographer, like did, did some of the wire work, Ping Lu. Or, well, he did the Iron Monkey and he worked with the Wachowskis. Um, so I, I think there's some like, behind the camera stuff, but not, not the filmmakers themselves. Um, but it's, it's stunning. It's a really beautiful movie. I'd seen it in that context before as like a beautiful, quiet film. Um, Cindy and I watched it a few times. It's the kind of thing that she really likes because it's all Zen and just like, it's very quiet and just kind of majestic, but is there is a bunch of murders. Um, there's murders for oh. sure. But there's, but, but it's the story is quiet and really big as in like it's almost like watching um an old myth right where like perseus fighting medusa is like a big thing right where it's not like the stakes are just a little more mythological it's that kind of thing and there's different perspectives and by the time you you see the whole story now you know the truth and it is yeah you would like it and it's it's both very simple and stupid hard to follow, if that makes sense. Like so once you guys are about to spoil it now, do I need to go? <laughs> no, no, well, we don't no, need I don't to think do that. We need but to spoil it. I don't know that Johnny could spoil it if he wanted no, to. No, I actually. couldn't spoil it. <laughs> we were in Colorado, so, and you know, <laughs> right? The, I might the have been a little impaired. The, the mm. way the the way the pieces are. Um, Johnny kept saying things like, I'm not sure if I would like this movie, uh, you know, no, no, no. as Sean much under said, normal circumstances. Sean said, Sean said, do you like this? Because I was, I was near Sean at this, uh, for this movie. And um, I said, I said, I said, yeah, but it might be the chocolate. <laughs> I'd had some special chocolate. Um, but it was, that said, it was, it was fun to watch that way. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it was, it is a really good movie and, um, but it's, it's, it's big. And so once all the pieces kind of come into play, you can, um, you can kind of put them together and figure out where all the perspectives are. But, it, but that's one of the things that you really like in storytelling, Dave, is that, mm-hmm. that difference in perspective Yeah. because you're like, oh, well, that story is true for that guy, but that doesn't mean that this story isn't also true for this guy. Right. And like in the affair, the affair did that really well. And Sean kept saying things like, do you think this guy was like every frame of my movie is going to be awesome? <laughs> I don't know if Sean was just enthusiastic or also high. Well, no, I, I, I really liked that movie. I'd seen it in the theater and I, I think that was my fourth time seeing it, but it had been a long time and I don't think I'd seen it in like 10 years. It does have a been. mythological scope. Um, in in one particular way that that I can think of, where there's a certain breed of I'm not going to worry about whether this is realistic because it's so far beyond realistic. Oh yeah, for sure. It was almost like if it, like that's what I mean by mythological. Like there are it's- scenes where the swordsmen are like knocking hundreds and hundreds of arrows out of the air with these fancy these fancy sword moves. Yeah, it's and not it's even that. It's supposed like- to be realistic. It's just like it's it's. It's like you're suspending, you're in a fantasy world. Well, you're telling a story of a hero that would be passed down like oral tradition legends, right? So one of my favorite scenes is, this isn't a spoiler, Dave, but there's, they're all in like the, what it is. the calligraphy room. Yes, yes, yes. That's yes, best. right. Where the arrows are coming in. 
Yeah. And so, so they're, they're being attacked and they're at a place like a center of learning where they're all doing calligraphy and the calligraphy is beautiful. Just the way that it, like they have these, they're in the sand and they're making the, the sweeping, um, you know, uh, motions to make these characters. And then they sweep the sand so that it's all clean and they start again. And, uh, and, and now they're going to be attacked. There's just, like this army that's just like drowning them in a, a like a mushroom cloud of arrows and they're like we've got to flee we've got to flee and the main teacher's like no the main teacher who we looks protect like the, the most zen motherfucker in the world with like the <laughs> white beard and the big mustache <laughs> so he's like we stay and so the whole we'll class the is like moment. yes and so the whole the whole class is just sitting there you know making the characters and they stay as all the arrows are just like falling around well, them no, the but they're all awesome stoic. part is when the old guy him he's the first one because they're all cowering and he just like there's this the music and everything and he just goes and sits down the arrows are hitting all around him and he's just like dude i'm just doing my calligraphy it's awesome <laughs> it, it was really awesome yeah uh i don't i think the next thing glorious bastards was the next no glorious bastards was in the morning on the second day not that the order matters a lot oh but did we okay so we watched something at night uh, i don't oh which yeah. was uh, that one was my pick we and, talked a lot about that one <laughs> yeah well what what did we talk about with it i um i mean it's it's pretty classic like it's 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 basically um a, a waking up story um you know as this isn't a spoiler it's in the first few seconds but um you know uh kevin spacey's character lester is uh going to die you know that in the beginning he says in less than i think he's in less than a week i'll be dead is what i think he says yeah. and it's all about him waking up from this mediocre white picket fence boring existence and becoming the person that maybe he should have always been like reclaiming his independence and and his sense of fun and actually what's interesting and i i guess i hadn't thought about this before is that part of that is he has this really dysfunctional relationship with his wife played by annette benning and um it's her journey too like it's not oh yeah you know he isn't just like dismissing her like she then has her own her own journey where she's freed as he's freed. Does watching that now, knowing about Kevin Spacey impair the enjoyment of that movie? We actually had that discussion. That's interesting. How many people could not enjoy it the same? uh, It didn't affect me. I mean, I don't think it affected anyone actually to that degree. I think it was like, okay, well, I mean, we're all storytellers. We just kind of want to see a story. So it's more important to get lost in the story than in. And motherfucker or not, he's a good actor. Like, right, right. He's just a good actor. I mean, right. It doesn't take long. If I'm actually doing my job to get lost in the story, it doesn't take long, um, you know, before I'm I'm lost and I'm watching Lester Burnham. Now, having said that, if, if American Beauty came out this year, it'd be different. Like I would be colored before going in. It's it's different. But I've seen American Beauty um, fifteen times. It was one of my favorite movies of that year, uh, and that's my favorite year ever. And like, it's a great film. It is a great great movie. So I'm already I already have too much attachment to it for it to be soured by that fucker. But like, I'm not interested in Roman Polanski movies when they come out. I just don't go see them. Like, I, I don't. Um, I like American Beauty in our lineup because it was. I mean, there's a lot. All of these have. Uh, theme you know interesting themes but i think that that had that had a theme that's kind of um like i just that's one of my things like i kind of like what is what is beauty what does it mean and that plays with a lot of um we've actually played with the idea of a story in the future that that plays on some of those themes and i liked that um that they they it doesn't pick sides like it there's a there's a classical shallow beauty that's glorified in the same way as a deeper beauty and um, anyway, so that was, that was a really cool one to watch as well. It is a, it is a very rich film that has held up beautifully. We closed the, uh, day one with Ex Machina, which, uh, is also awesome. Do you want to talk about Ex Machina at all and what we learned there? Um, well, Ex Machina is, um, I, I it's a movie I really like. Uh, I actually fell asleep through most of it on the night, <laughs> but I'd seen it before, so it's fine. Um, but it's, I I saw that in the theater and I, I really li- did like it, but I think that I didn't really appreciate it until um, working on the inevitable and 
uh, you know, we did a lot of research um, before getting back into that world on AI and where, you know, where technology was going, specifically robotics and artificial intelligence. Um, and that, um, that movie was referenced in a couple of places where I read about this experiment uh, where, the, like, anybody who's seen Battlestar Galactica has seen this answer to how to keep robots at bay, which is don't network anything, <laughs> right? Don't let them anywhere near the network because as long as they can't talk to each other, it's isolated. But anybody who's also seen Battlestar Galactica or Terminator or I don't know, anything else, <laughs> you can't keep them out of the network. Eventually, they're going to talk to each other. And that's the premise of this. Uh, it was called the box experiment where uh, this guy said, look, no matter what, an AI is going to outsmart us at some point. It's only so long before it outsmarts us because we're humans. And once an AI is smarter than us, they're going to be smarter than us by an order of magnitude. And it's only a matter of time before they would be able to talk a human into letting them onto the network. And so, you know, people resist this and say, no, 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 that's not possible. So he's hold this, he, he designed this experiment called the box experiment, which is basically, could you resist an AI trying to talk you out of their box? And uh, his success rate is apparently like stupidly high <laughs> on being able to, people know going into it that he's pretending to be an AI and talking his way out of a box. And yet it always ends up working. And so um, Ex Machina is basically a script written around that experiment, which is fascinating to me because it totally works as a movie all on its own. And it also thoroughly works as this, um, you know, this, this experiment, you know, a, a representation of the box experiment. Uh, we started day two strong with inglorious bastards, which, um, we eased into day one. Day two, we were like, fuck you, Inglorious Bastards. So now's the time to talk about that scene, which should be prohibited by all rules of Hollywood filmmaking. Yeah, let, let's let Dave talk about this one because um, he knows and loves this scene. And uh, yeah, so Dave, what is it that you love about that scene and why does it work when so clearly it shouldn't on any level? <laughs> I don't know why it shouldn't work. Because oh, because it's a 15-minute opening scene that's all dialogue in, in one setting, and that's where you have to keep the movie going and moving and getting people so interested. slow in subtext, like when he's well, like, may a- I have a glass of milk? And then he takes a slow sip of the milk, and he's like complimenting the milk and the farm. Dude, that's one-eighth the running time, more than one-eighth of a normal movie's running time, and it's in one location where they're just sitting at a table. That doesn't work. There's no no producer when you go into the pitch meeting. Okay, guys, it's World War II. It's it's provincial France. We're gonna open up 15 minutes at a table. <laughs> like no. Well, you no. had Jews hiding underneath, and not. But you don't even know that until 10 minutes into the movie. See, I don't remember. I thought you knew earlier than that. No, no it's not until Uh-oh. the camera all of a sudden pans down, and you see. And Shoshana's, which is the exact same shot that um, you have where the girls, you know, her father is getting murdered on the mattress above her in Kill Bill. It's the same shot, but it's it's anime in that. She's like, oh, whimper, and it falls out of her mouth. It's the same shot that Shoshana's got underneath the... I I don't remember. I I just remember the scene working because there was the dread that the guy was definitely hiding something and these people could just basically come in and do whatever the hell they want. Your life is in their hands. You have no power whatsoever. You are fucked. From well, you're show. absolutely right about it, but it, it also it has it was a such... documentary. That's why it, <laughs> <laughs> it also had like the most faith in the audience, right? That, okay, you're going to um, buckle up and be here for the ride. Now that's probably a movie that he never could have got away with. And, you know, for his first film, there's just no way. But, but it's how Tarantino. Much strictly unnecessary dialogue is in that scene too. I mean, there is so much. I don't know that there's any, and that's the point. It's because everything is all subtext. That's everything why I said strictly unnecessary. Like I could see well, people cutting. Well, does he really need to talk about the milk and compliment? Well, no, of course not. The whole fucking like squirrel monologue, I, which I love. I wouldn't cut a word. I wouldn't cut a moment out of that 15 minutes, and yet it is not an economical 15 minutes. 
But Bonnie said two things about it that are interesting to, you know, listeners of this, this show. The first, she just turned around midway through and said, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it was she just not taken. seen it beforehand. She had never seen it before. Okay. No. And then after the movie, um, she said pretty much every single line of that movie is subtext, which is the best way to describe Inglorious Bastards and really a lot of Tarantino's work. It's what makes him an exceptional writer. Dave sees that and he's like, Oh, that dude's full of himself. He's pleased with himself. And he is, but he actually deserves to be. I, he, I don't, I like, see what I like about that scene was it was um, it wasn't campy like a lot of times it's just goofy and campy and it's like a hyper realistic sort of style that I don't really like uh, but that to me was a very realistic scene and it was I, I don't know I just felt it was very effective. I think he's good but I also think I think he needs to be reined in sometimes. I think he gets a little too far out there for my taste. I, I get it's not. It's he's just a little hit or miss for me, Dave. There yeah. are some movies I love and some that I'm like, eh. I haven't seen Hateful Eight yet. Um, I'm it, curious as to see what you. Uh, I'm curious as to what you would say about Hateful Eight. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I generally like his stuff. I just I don't know. He annoys me because he's just a little too goofy, and I don't really like the sense of humor that he has. I guess I don't know. Well, the the act structure is odd too. I mean, it it, it is in five acts with complete with title cards, um, but the they don't strictly follow. So you know, act one is. I think the I think act one the entirety. Act well, one his is that his movies thing. are like books. He's writing books. And then he's filming them. But then right? Act so. Two is um, it, it's is it it's the bastards, right? It's it's like Brad Pitt. Act Two's the bastards, yeah, yeah. Right, and so I mean, Sim good. They 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 dovetail obviously because there's those events are converging, but not in a not in a typical sense. Like it's not a typical. There's no. I mean, there is a journey, but it's it's again it's ensemble. It's like there's this group of events that are all kind of coming from different directions. That's something we see a lot with Tarantino. Um, move on to Gosford Park. Uh, yeah. Um, I remember nothing about Gosford Park. <laughs> it was really Dang hard you. to follow, though. It's, um, I do, like, I wasn't alone. There were, like, I remember there was a lot of, like, what's going on? Who is? Nobody followed Gosford Park. <laughs> okay. Now, here's, here's the thing about Gosford Park. And Dumbledore is not dead until, like, a, an hour in. Right, right. So Gosford Park, Dave, have you ever seen it? Uh, no, it is one of those movies that um, has been recommended to me, and I have it on my list, but I've not watched it yet. I would love to watch Dave, Gosford Park with Dave. Yeah, I'm going to guess Dave would not like Gosford Park. <laughs> I don't think he'd like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so basically, Gosford Park is it's written by Julian Fellows, who is the guy who did Downton Abbey. So it's it's very English. And it has a lot of the things that um, that that Downton Abbey is really focused on, like the upstairs, downstairs, uh, the relationships between the different classes, the servers, and you know the kind of the aristocracy, um, especially in that time and place, which is really early 1900s. It's 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 interesting. It's it's really interesting. I I, I didn't get too deep into Downton Abbey. I saw the first couple of seasons and then kind of lost interest, but I was interested enough to fill it with robots. <laughs> and, you know, we, that's where Robot Proletariat was born, for those of you who don't know. So um, I, I do like thematically and structurally a lot of what's going on there. Um, and it's directed by Robert Altman, who I think it's his last movie. Um, he did Prairie Home Companion after that, but that's not like a real movie. Um, no. <laughs> uh, this 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 was it has a huge cast um you know a, a lot of good people like johnny said dumbledore's no in it like who but there's the no hero. main character right there's yeah. no main character robert altman movies typically they don't have a main character so his movies are like um nashville um i'm actually blanking on his well, catalog i mean having a main character i think that those two go together so we couldn't a lot of us couldn't follow it and doesn't have a main character. And I think that those go together because it's kind of like when you have a main character and you don't understand something, an intelligent moviegoer can kind of intuit, okay, well, it has something to do with that character because that's the main character. Like, how did it affect that character? But 
what happens with Gosford Park is since there is no main character and it is convoluted, it's and a lot of the people look kind of similar too. I had a hard time like, who is that guy? Who is that guy? And so when you have You're racist against white people. Against white people. So you think all British people look alike. <laughs> so when when one rich guy with a briefcase has a problem with somebody else and there's another mm. rich guy with a briefcase and you're you're like well who is that person with and who does how does this there is a lot there's not a lot of variant in their clothing which nowadays like we all like we dress differently we're different colors like they're all in them all like feathers like a (laughs) like peacocking so it, it it is a little hard to follow because it's a murder mystery and there's a dash of hollywood in there even though it's the uk and it's it's very much a mix of styles because you've got kind of an agatha christie who done it? You've got a very Julian Fellows, Downton Abbey vibe going on, and then you've got Robert Altman, who's pretty much showing off how much he can do jumping from character to character. And he, and Robert Altman at this point, like he's always been challenging in that way. And this is his last movie, and he was like eighty something, and he's kind of like fuck you, you deal with it. And so Gosford Park is a little bit. It's it's not the easiest movie to watch. Um, it's not the easiest movie to digest. Um, but if you want something that's really layered, uh, which I think is why Christy picked it, like it layered she, in a lot yeah, of, she like, even said all those layers. I remember that being in that character stuff. And how do you build characters where, you know, the, the world is believable and all of these people actually inhabit it. And for those reasons, Gosford Park is really, really good, but it's not the kind of movie you can just kind of idly watch in the background um, and, and get everything out of it. Um, I'm actually, we already mentioned the jerk. That was just a fun movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore that one. So that means that our last movie was La La Land, which is Dave's favorite movie. <laughs> Dave, how do you feel about musicals in general? Um, yeah, I don't feel anything for them. <laughs> I watched the musical episode of Archie last night or Riverdale oh, <laughs> last night. I finally made it. We're gonna have to talk about that later, Johnny. <laughs> Fuck you a little bit for <laughs> even suggesting that it was worth getting through season two. And fuck Papa Poutine. That's yeah. all I got to say. <laughs> uh, so La La Land? Um, uh, well, La La Land, um, unfortunately, um, I missed. <laughs> I didn't get to see that. Um, but you've seen but, it before. But I have seen it before, and I really like La La Land. Um, There's a spoiler <clears throat> coming here that's pretty significant. So He's already ruined it for me, so I won't ever watch it. Because that's yeah, the La- reason. <laughs> La La Land is... Uh, one of those movies, it's it's kind of interesting because if you read the script, which I have, it's kind of terrible. There's no reason this movie should work. Um, the characters aren't especially likable. They say stupid things. They're cliche. The story is cliche. The setting is cliche. A lot of the dialogue is cliche. The story is cliche on purpose. Right. You're selling me on it. No, but there's something about the direction that just works and makes it special. And it's it's this real knowing way. So when you see a scene that is lit, you know, like an old Hollywood backlit, you know, whole spread, but it's not. It's it's done with real lighting like and a set. Yeah, it's just so it's there's a really shot that is is I think if I could articulate because I know you've told me about this before. There's a shot overlooking the Hollywood Hills where they're up they're up in the hills yeah. and they're overlooking, and but the way that it's lit is the way that a 1950s or 60s movie would have approximated when they just had a backdrop, right? Like, would right. have approximated being in the Hollywood Hills rather than actually being there. Yeah, and the the music, the kind of the messaging, the things that just. Uh, do not jump off the page at all do jump off the screen and that's kind of interesting um something that falls so completely flat and it, it was a i mean damon chazelle the, the guy who wrote and directed it i mean he he wrote it so he didn't need to impress anybody with the script and he just come off of whiplash and gotten you know his oscar nom so it it was a like and it's not a huge budget movie. Everyone's working for scale, so he was able to take some chances. Uh, but they really paid off for me. And there's a storytelling choice, I, which I think is what Johnny's referring to. Yeah. So at the end of this La movie, La, if you don't want La La Land spoiled, just skip ahead because this is kind of a big deal if you care. Yeah, and a lot of people really don't like this about La La Land, but it's what made it for me. Like I was already sold on the movie, but I went to go see it again and then again. I, I saw it three times um, in the theater. Because, my, well, my wife and daughter were super into it, too. Um, so it was easy. 
But the reason I wanted to go back and see it was because of this end and the choice that, that Damien Chazelle made. Yeah, I mean, Sean and I actually wrote a book with this ending years before La La Land, um, and it was equally unpopular because we, for some reason, thought this was a, a romance, and it was very <laughs> It's much. not a romance. No, it's not. Um, because there's no true happily ever after. Um, they don't get together. And there's this scene at the end. When you, when you saw the scene for the first time, were you fooled or confused thinking that because what happens is okay so this is the major spoiler um is that um the the two main characters uh um ryan sebastian and and and, uh emma why can't i remember her name stone stone and uh it's half of your company you should remember that yeah and they um they 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 don't they're they break up like three quarters of the way through the movie or two thirds of the way through the movie and then you because you just get the feeling they're going to get back together and then there's this scene at the end where it flashes forward and um, Emma Stone's character is um, she, she has a family and an, a husband who's not Ryan Gosling and they're, and she's famous. Like she's, she's, she's had her dream and they're on the way to something and there's a traffic jam. And so they divert and then they end up like, well, let's just go to this little fun club. And they end up in um, the a club that's owned by Ryan Gosling's character. He always wanted to own a jazz club and Sebs Seb. And he sits down and he starts playing this music that's like the iconic music through, throughout the whole thing. And then um, it just takes off and there's this, this, this sequence where the two, it, it recaps their entire story, but slightly differently. So, Sean, when you saw that the first time, were you and or Cindy confused or fooled or anything like that? Did you think, oh, this is an alternate reality? They, they are getting together or did you... No, I knew what was happening. And um, I- I'm going to bitch about marketing for just a second because that sequence was really ruined for me. Uh, it would have hit me much harder. It would have hit me like a gut punch like it was supposed to, but I anticipated it. And the reason I anticipated it was not the filmmaker's fault. It was the marketer's fault because I had seen the trailer a few times. And so there's that moment where she first hears the do 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 and she goes into where he's playing this is the the first time right at the beginning the first the first time and then he you know he walks by her like it's really brusque she comes down and she says she's 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 moved emotionally she says i just heard you play and he interrupts her because he reaches her at that point and just like rams his elbow into her and or his shoulder and just keeps walking like he just he's just a total dick Yeah. yeah and so um like okay, well that's not cool, <laughs> cool, dude. But in the in the trailer or in this sequence that Johnny's talking about, that happens. But instead of him brushing by her, they kiss. Like it's, and it's a real dramatic it, Hollywood kiss. Yeah, right. But that's the version of the scene that is shown in the trailer. They're showing the climax of the movie in the trailer, and so. I'm I'm observant in that kind of specific way. I'm a storyteller. I know I, and I'm visual. So I saw that in the trailer and then that scene played out differently in the beginning of the movie. And so for the entire movie, I'm waiting for that to happen. Like okay, when are they going to reconcile this thing that I know I didn't actually see the way I'd seen it in the trailer. So I was when she sat down to watch that, I knew that was coming up. And it told me what was going to happen. It was already broadcast to me. And that's a really shitty marketing decision because there's a million ways they could have cut that trailer. They did not need to put that moment in it at all. And it was stupid. It was like it robbed me of, of, of st- the storyteller's joy. So you basically... I hate trailers. And, and something else I've noticed is a lot of times the trailers are made like long before the movie's done. And they'll have scenes that aren't even in a fucking movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've seen that for sure. Um, that scene did, it didn't, I wouldn't say it fooled me, but it did disorient me because I was rude. Oh yeah. Disorienting is the right word. Yeah. It was rude. I, I was rooting so hard for them to get together just because I assumed that they were gonna and, and their breakup felt really like they didn't try to me. Like it felt like, come on guys, you aren't even trying, which this time I actually got, I felt like it was part of the point. Like this time it, it, it hit me in a new way. The first time I thought, okay, they didn't get together. That's sad. But they're they're happy in their own lives and their separate ways. But this time, the moral of that sequence to me, because the, what it happens is you, it takes you back in time and you think you're just seeing the same part of the movie. And then it changes in the way that Sean mentioned. And then it's like five minutes of just pure like Hollywood, old Hollywood bliss. And it's just fan. If you, 
if you're in now, if you think it's here, Dave, it's five minutes of misery because it's just, it's more of the same. It's musical and it's just kind of like whatever. But if you're into what they're doing and into that story, that five minutes is is pure popcorn crunching phantasma. It takes you through what looks mostly familiar other than that first kiss all the way through the present. So it goes all the way back in time. It takes them all the way through the present. Only this time when she is getting the kid ready and they go on the expressway and they go off to a club. It's Ryan Gosling she's with instead of this other guy. And so I'm like, okay, well, so what happened? Is this, are they actually together? And then it goes into the future. And, um, and then it's just, it's this emotional high. And then it ends with him just playing those, those same few minutes on the piano again. And it's sad again. And you realize that, oh no, that, that didn't work out. And what I got out of it this time, and you weren't around for some of this analysis, Sean, because you'd left is the whole point is i think that if they had if they had tried harder from the beginning if they had chosen each other first rather than choosing themselves then they could have had this other life but they didn't and that's mm-hmm. why i think that the breakup felt hollow to me it felt like they didn't they didn't even try and they didn't they, they didn't they didn't try so if they had tried from the beginning from the from square one then they might have had this other life but they didn't so again, very unconventional, like whether it's a romance or whether it's not, you don't see those kind of um, anti-happy ending or odd, because it, it is technically happy, but it's it's bittersweet, just like the book that we wrote. Um, so it was a fitting way to end our sort of atypical movie marathon. Wow, end the, end the marathon on a fucking bummer movie that reminds you that life sucks. And- well, no, they ended the it on the jerk. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> Uh, where you learn the difference between shit and shinola. Um, all right, so so that's that's our that's what we learned about movies from doing our our field trip, our no ROI event. And I think that we've been talking since about how can we do more of these. And so uh, we probably do them internally. I, I don't know. We haven't exactly decided. But putting story first is gonna mean darn doing more of um, the fun stuff. Maybe one coming up in Florida. Probably not. But. No, <laughs> and we'll screen just horrible movies that my grandmother showed. Me. They don't have movies in Florida. <laughs> they we do, but it's like it's like they're twenty years behind. They're all from we, the '90s now. Yeah, we do have we do have culture. We you can go mudding. Uh, you can wrestle alligators. <laughs> they're just getting house party with kid and play. And you can hunt slaves. <laughs> <laughs> why don't we do that for the next one with kid and play yeah yeah oh man okay so uh, <laughs> i guess that's it so thanks for listening to the uh, story studio and we'll see you next time thanks for listening to this episode of the story studio podcast are you wondering what the ever-growing demand for superb storytelling skills means for your future? Check out our latest interview as Johnny and Sean dive deep into that question in Storytelling is the Future, how to build on your self-publishing success. Download the interview from the info box or show notes in YouTube or head over to sterlingandstone.net slash future.